Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's up, you guys? FightfulSelect.com retro review. This one we are releasing free to Fightful.com viewers as a free preview, essentially. If you want these every single month, we have WWF SummerSlam 1992. We have ECW Hardcore Heaven 1995. I have Backlash 99, SummerSlam 2000 in the archives. A lot of fun. WCW Great American Bash 96. Subscribe to FightfulSelect.com, one of our more popular features. We take a look at these shows. I rate them based on today's standards. Uh, I see if they hold up. We talk about stories about the wrestlers from the from the era, what became of them. It's a good time. Subscribe to FightfulSelect.com. We have tons of podcasts every week. Uh, early access to news. One of those guys who brings you those podcasts is Mr. Warren Hayes. He does the 205 Live NXT review. He does G1 Climax wrap-ups and this show with me. And if you're a Fightful Select subscriber, you're seeing this weeks before we even release this for free. TNA Unbreakable. It's not Unbreakable 05 anymore, even though that's what it was billed at then. This was the only Unbreakable they ever had. Do we know why? Because Did they, did they break? Maybe because the main event was so good they could never live up to it again. Probably 775 people showed up to this show on September 11, 2005 in the Impact Zone for Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. Still then associated with the NWA's championships. Before this show took place, they had Cassidy Riley beating Jarrell Clark in a couple minutes. Shark Boy beating Mikey Bats in about three minutes. <laughs> and then we Mikey had the show. Bats. Mikey, Mikey Bats. Bats. <laughs> Mikey Bats. So we get this very unfunny football parodied intro video that goes on way too long. Oh, you know, I love you. I love you guys in America and in Canada. And I love you guys and I love football. But this was just it was long and it wasn't even funny. It wasn't even good. They did the are you ready for some wrestling thing about ten months after WWE did it with the Shelton Benjamin, Vince McMahon, Trish Stratus segment that was way better. Way better. But anyway, we got matches to talk about, too. Hey, can we talk about the commentary team real quick? Yeah. I love Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay was one of my mainstays in WCW. He is oh, one of the we're going to clash here. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I love Don West. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Um, Mike Tenay, Mike Tenay was uh, was the guy who's responsible directly for me appreciating the work that the wrestlers are putting in the ring, as opposed to being just a stupid Mark who just pops at uh, the popular guy. He helped me understand what what the guys were doing and how incredible it was. But as a play by play guy, I'm not so sure about it. I he lacks that he la- he lacks the spark. You know the thing that Tony Schiavone can. They can grab you and really build the, the, the gravitas of a situation, the energy of a situation. Mike Tenay doesn't have that. And let's talk about 
Don West. But legitimately, look, I have you nothing say against it like Don that. Don West, like that's I not a real nothing, name or something. I have nothing against Don West, but honestly, I really think I I honestly believe that he speaks in a frequency that my auditory system is unable to process completely. I miss fifty percent of what he says because it just comes off as. That's and that's fair. It, it could be, and, and I it could be something absolutely physical on my end because I'm sitting there listening to him. And I don't understand half of what he's saying. <laughs> so this was around the time I turned the corner on Don West. I hated Don West's work before this, but he was so excited to be there that I started to appreciate him, including the next month at Bound for Glory, his call which I almost want to save for a retro review of its own, but it's so close to this, where Jeff Hardy jumps from the top of the set onto Abyss, and he goes, what is he doing? Oh, my God! That was freaking insane! (laughs) I loved it. I loved him. Oh, he sounds excited. It's just I can't make up what he's saying. Throughout this review, we'll mention Dave Meltzer's ratings, uh, how they compare to mine. I rate things on a uh, 1 out of 10 scale. Starts at a 5, it either slides down or slides up based on what I think of the match. A An average TV match is a 5. If something offensive happens, it'll slide down to a 4. If it gets real bad, it's in the 3s. Your typical good match, probably at about a 6. And we start off with 3LK versus Diamonds in the Rough, and this was not good. You may wonder, who in the hell is 3LK? Well, it is Ron the Truth Killings, former road dog, BG James, and Conan. They are known as the three live crew. As opposed to the two live crew. Yeah, this even back then I was like, man, what a shitty ripoff of a name this is. And and dated. Yeah. And super dated. You know, on our last retro review, I complained about Virgil using a one-year-old MC Hammer reference. <laughs> At this point, 3LK, when they started, this is like 10 years after 2 Live Crew had any hits, right? Had any hits or had any uh, spots on Entertainment Tonight about the controversy of their album cover? True. Let, let's see. Let's see. When was the last time they they even charted? They charted with a song in 1996 that landed at number 72. The last time they had a top 40 hit was 1990. Okay. There you go. Me So Horny was in 89? Yeah. Wow. Pop that coochie in 1991. (laughs) Both of those songs are better than what 3LK did. Diamonds in the Rough had Simon Diamond leading... A stable including David Young. I think his name right. David Young. David Young. David Young. And never liked Skipper. it. Never got him. But Elix Skipper, who I always liked. Liked him in WCW. Liked him in TNA. He was much older than I ever thought he was because he had a full football career before this. <laughs> Has not wrestled, I don't think, since the tragedy in which his, his son was shot and killed. I think he's just kind of disappeared. He's one of those guys that I always wanted to reach out for to or to for an interview and never had the the uh, the chance. But Elix Skipper was the highlight of this match. His spin kick, and it was kind of weird to see the six sided ring again. I thought I'm kind of not used to it now. That that's a sign of the times, right there. And Skipper was really good, and like you said, the, the, he he was. I was acquainted with him in WCW. More than TNA, because TNA, I think even at this time, TNA, didn't they lose, they had lost their deal with Fox? Like, the 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 Spike TV deal hadn't... It was just starting. It was just starting, right? At this point, TNA was on Real Player. That's how mm-hmm. you have to watch TNA Impact. You downloaded the episodes on their website and watched them on Real Player, if you remember that at all. Oh, God, don't remind me. That was such a shitty media player. It there was it was overhyped. It was supposed I, to be the revolution, but it just it just never worked. Or or when you get 
when you get it, you'd get it like in 360p, super blocky. Yeah. Shit. I bet somebody paid millions of dollars for that too, for the rights to that name and all that crap. It's amazing what sells. Not worth two bucks. Uh, this is a total cluster. Conan gets the win with a face jam. A face jam. Mm-hmm. Meltzer gave it one star. I give it a 4.5 out of 10. It went four minutes and 20 seconds. Ironic. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> oh, see? But I, think should, I, should, I think you should bump it up uh, a half point just for that. You know, I might bump it up to a 4.75 if I thought that they did it on purpose. Or, or, or give it a 4.20 yourself. What was good was Austin Aries defeating Roderick Strong. Now, keep in mind, Austin Aries, as we're filming this in 2018, Impact Wrestling Champion. Roderick Strong at the top of his game in NXT. This was eight good minutes. I popped when I, when I, re- when I saw this. Like I, when we do the retro reviews, I try to go in as blindly as possible on the cards. Some, some matches, of course, you remember, others don't. And I wasn't super familiar with TNA at the time, so I just went in completely blind and was like, oh, shit, Austin Aries. Oh, shit, Roderick Strong. <laughs> that was really cool. And they even referenced um, Ring of Honor on, uh, on commentary as well. Just a heads up, your mic is catching on your shirt. Yep, my shirt. I think, I think you're, it's getting audio from your, your headset mic. Oh. Is it? Yeah. That's where your audio is coming from right now. Right here? Yeah. 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 I'm not editing this, so whatever. We're good. But I gave this match a 7 out of 10. Meltzer gave this 3 and a quarter star, 3 and a half stars. Four, I think this match probably aged better than, yep. than any of them did. I think that it it actually got better with the the 13 years that have passed since it happened. Aries' facial hair hasn't changed a lot since 2005, but I remember this is the first time I had seen one of them, or either one of these guys, in a high-profile match like this, even though I had heard of both. They got Ring of Honor chance. Strong catches Aries midair with a backbreaker and then press slams him into the buckles. That was such a cool spot. That was amazing. That's something you don't see today. Nope. Crowd is really hot for this. Aries catches strong with a couple of big clotheslines. And then the pendulum elbow, which I really liked. It was his way of doing like the worm, the people's elbow. But he did it in a less cheesy, less cartoonish way. A fireman's carry gut buster into a nasty knee from strong. This was a style that not a lot of guys in TNA were working at the time, despite the X division. This was just a fast-paced, hard-hitting style. Aries won with a 450 splash, and this was, like I said, just something that not only holds up 13 years later, but looks even better, I think, 13 years later. I agree, because now it's something that it's a style that we're accustomed to. We look at it now. Back then, maybe you know it was more of a novelty. We're like, ooh, look at, look at the flippy guys. But nowadays, you look at it, and you can understand the actual craft that goes behind it. And you're like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. And the pump handle backbreaker. That strong, it's so cool. I like. We really have to put that over. That was amazing. So, and these guys didn't flip that much. I mean, this wasn't like one of those. You look, and it was just really good, solid work. What I didn't like was this was the beginning of what of about twenty TNA management references all <laughs> throughout this show. TNA management. TNA management, shut the hell up about it. I don't care about the booking committee or TNA management. Jesus. Bonnie Brown and Kip James defeated Apollo and Lance Hoyt. I gave this a five. Sorry, go ahead. I gave this a 5.25 out of 10. Dave Meltzer gave it a star and a quarter. It went about 10 minutes, but Monty Brown is so good and was so believable. At everything. When he wrestled, when he talked, I was and, like, he was just so good. And he was enthusiastic. Like he was, there was part of him that was working, part of him that I'm happy to be here. You know, that, mm-hmm. that guy where, he's, he, where he, he realized he's, he's got a great job. He's doing something that he, he really enjoys. Everything he does has just that little extra oomph, which clashed quite a bit with, Billy Gunn, Kip James, who 
at some points during the match sort of felt like uh, he was phoning it, phoning it in. But who the hell is Apollo? Garbage. Like, That's who he is. He, I saw him come out and I was I didn't know who he was. He just looks like the quintessential early 2000s pro wrestler. Exactly. And they loved those guys back then. They love the Sonny Siaki-looking guys. Hey, there you go. That's your reference right there. You know, not too huge, but not small either. Not super defined, but not a lump of uh, not a lump of flesh either. He's still working too. Apollo <laughs> is still at it. He's working indies all over the place. Uh, he's not a guy that you're gonna. He's not on the PCO level of anything like that because he never had that big run, but. There he was. I got to put over Shane Douglas as a backstage interviewer. I thought he was awesome. We have to put Shane Douglas over for something. Yeah. I thought he was really, really good. Because he, he, you know, the thing is with Shane Douglas, he's a pretty good sized pro wrestler. He's like a 230, 240 pound guy. But he asked the questions well. He reacted well. He didn't overshadow anybody and you could tell that he went out of his way to not overshadow people and reacted the right way to everything that was being said and i see that and i'm like man that's 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 special to be able to do do it as well as he did it because there are only a handful of people i've been able to see that do that and react the right way not just stare off into space but he'll like take a step back when monty brown says something a little bit too aggressively it's very very good you know, sometimes you have the you have the reflex of saying, "Oh, well, they're a good talker; they'll be a good interviewer." Just like you say, they're a good talker; they'll be a good play-by-play. Yeah, you know, we'll all remember Arn Anderson from a few years ago in WWF. Yes. They tried to do color; that was awful. And I agree, Shane here was extraordinary for all for all the shit that he gets and that I give him. That's fine. Um, Shane has always had a good head for the business; he understands how it works. Billy Gunn has a rip-off ass man theme. Monty has the rip-off down with the sickness theme. <laughs> Hoyt was over. Lance Hoyt was over in the impact zone because allegedly he used to party with the people there. He would go out in Orlando and I guess get drunk with these guys. He, I, looked, he, he looked like a party guy. Yeah, he had not put it together yet. He did later years with Killer Elite Squad. He had so much growing to do. Early to mid-2000s is by far the worst fashion era in pro wrestling. <laughs> Nobody wanted to wear trunks. That's the thing. Nobody wanted to wear trunks. So they would wear like these baggy, reflective pants that looked like they were not breathable at all. They all looked like they had pants that were made out of the material of Goldust's bodysuit. <laughs> yeah, they all looked like... They wanted pants like the Hardy Boys, but didn't want to look like the Hardy Boys. Putting my own twist on it. (laughs) This was a real era of just putting off Monty Brown over and over again. He was very, very clearly the guy. But there was a guy, Jeff Jarrett, who saw himself as the guy. He was also involved in this storyline. It's so funny. We reviewed... SummerSlam 92 recently, and Ric Flair was one of the biggest stars in the company. Wasn't actually wrestling on the card. Jeff Jarrett then, in this, was still one of the biggest stars in the company. Didn't wrestle on this card, but he was heavily involved in this this show. Heavily. When I look at at this and Monty Brown, he could have been one of the brightest stars they ever had. And I think he was still. I think everybody looks back at him and says he could have been great. There were a lot of guys like Apollo like Triton, like Rob Terry, Mm. the TNA would bring in, and they'd be like, wow, he looks great, and they couldn't do anything with him. Monty Brown, you could. Lance Hoyt's strikes were not very good here. Monty Brown hits him with an awesome alpha bomb. It is a Mm -hmm. back suplex turned into a swinging side slam. So he's innovative as well. Apollo gets some offense, but eats a fame-asser. Gunn is on the receiving end of a wild moonsault from Hoyt. Impressive that he could do that at that size ever. Hoyt soon eats the ring post. Miscommunication uh, between Gunn and Brown, but Brown hits the pounce anyway and pins Apollo. This wasn't, this was a cluster at times, but Monty Brown's sheer presence raised this above the Mendoza line for me. It wasn't bad. Yeah. It was, it It was a bear match and 
uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's a good way. Like you said, I think it was it it, it it's a, a bottle in time here where you could see where they wanted to go with uh, with Monty Brown because he it was interesting. They had him in a in a storyline. There were twists and turns apparently. So, but yeah, this, it was an okay match. This is the type of match if it happened on a random Monday Night Raw, I'd probably give it a four point seven five because it was twelve years ago and had Monty Brown. I gave it a 5.25. Dave Meltzer gave it a star and a quarter. It went about 10 minutes. Up next, we had Chris Saban defeating Petey Williams. This uh, from Meltzer got three stars. I gave it seven out of 10. It's another one of those matches that aged way better. It's better today than it was then. Man, and it kind of makes me want to go back and watch more TNA at the time because I am not that familiar with Chris Saban's work. That's what I realized yeah. watching this match. To me, TNA between mid-2005 to about early 2009, mid-2009, was the best American wrestling in the world on weekly TV. I saw that as the premiere show. I would be most excited for Thursday nights to tune into Impact Rest, TNA Impact, and see what was going to go on. And the X Division was such a big part of that. I, I understood subconsciously why these guys weren't in the main event, which plays into the, the theme of this, this retro review. Because you know, they had Jeff Jarrett, Raven, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were running in and out of the show. You had Abyss, you had Sabu, you had Sting soon after, Christian Cage was about to come in. So you had a main event scene and a next division scene. Mm-hmm. All of Team Canada was a good promo except for A1, who didn't speak, and probably rightfully so. Kind of wild, though, that everybody else in Team Canada at the point at this point, besides A1, I'm talking Petey Williams, Eric Young, Bobby Roode, still wrestling at such a high level these right. days. Yep. I, w- I, w- I, was, I was actually a little surprised at that. So AAA screwed over TNA by booking Shocker too far away to make this booking. Shocker was supposed to fight Chris Sabin. If those of you who don't remember who Shocker was and don't watch Mexican wrestling, he's probably best remembered for a wrestler with really bleach blonde, spiky hair who was in a McDonald's commercial in the mid-1990s. And I think that's literally why TNA signed him. It's because he was on a McDonald's commercial. They were, all, they were looking for that mainstream crossover. That's goal. right. That French fry appeal. <laughs> I thought Wes and Tanae did a great job keeping up their pace with Saban and, when Saban and Petey slowed down because they started off slow in this match. Mm-hmm. Williams applies a sharpshooter after some uh, back-and-forth action. Saban answers with a great turnaround tornado DDT. There was an insane spot where they did an inverted infrared. Uh, the regular infrared is where Amazing Red would do the sunset flip bomb. This was a reverse one, and you see why it didn't happen, or an inverted one. Because Saban almost got chopped in half. Mm. you ever watched Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Yes. Where he's like, ain't nothing terrible going to happen today, Dewey, and then he gets cut in half. That <laughs> almost happened to Chris Saban here. This is scary. Yes. Very scary. Petey applies another not-so-great sharpshooter, but a crucifix bomb and a fireman's carry mm-hmm. into the turnbuckle. That was cool. I love the where Saban was setting up for his cradle shock, which is a cross-legged Samoan driver, essentially. He goes and he cracks Petey Williams into the turnbuckles. That was sick. Williams gouges Saban's eyes to get out of the ladder. A blinded save, it almost hits the cradle shock on the ref, but gets Petey for the win. This was just really, really good, fun work. There's no, like I said, I'm, I'm wolf. I realize with this match that I'm woefully unfamiliar with Saban's work. I was a little more with Petey Williams, of course, over the years. But man, this was, this was something special. And well, I'll save further commentary later on because I think it's, it's good for a wrap up. But yeah, this was. I, I really liked everything I saw here. And, you know, the, the, what I also appreciated storyline-wise in the, in the ring, that ref spot that they did, it didn't go overboard. You know, it was, it was still believable. You know, Saban picks him up and he, 
he realizes, oh, wait, wait, this isn't the guy. And he puts him down where he could have just hit the move blindly and stupidly. But he wait a minute. This isn't ring attire. Wait, I'm not feeling a chest, a bare chest, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. I thought that was good. It was really, really excellent. Like if this was the first match that sh- that you showed me about TNA regarding TNA back then, I'm like, man, okay, uh, I'm all in on this. I mean, you think of that that X division now. The X division back then largely consisted of Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Jay Lethal, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, all still running at a high level. Outstanding. Outstanding. Again, I don't think it's a coincidence that this was the second match that I say aged better because that's the style that has been adopted today. I talk about it with Shane Helms all the time. When Shane Helms was an agent in in TNA, he would say, we need to go above and beyond with our X Division guys because everybody does the X Division style now because people aren't just going to sit there and watch a chin lock forever. They're not going to watch that. They're not going to sit through it. So the way that wrestling has adapted and evolved, I think, made this match even better. Matt Bentley shows up. He is the cousin of Shawn Michaels. In fact, he was once named Michael Shane in TNA. <laughs> he returns and super kicks Saban. He wants an Ultimate X match at Bound for Glory. Then he super kicks Williams. Again, I'm not super familiar with TNA at the time, but seeing the reaction that he got looked like a big deal. It <laughs> wasn't. No, okay. It wasn't. He was never a guy that got over the hump, really. All right. He was the guy that you looked at and you said, oh, he's Shawn Michaels' cousin. What's he doing here? He doesn't wrestle anymore. He wrestled uh, one match on Global Force in 2015, wrestled a match in 2013, a match in 2012, a match in 2011, two in 2010, one in 2009. So needless to say, he has been incredibly – like just, eh, maybe I'll wrestle here and there. But his last match was actually against Kozlov on SmackDown. That was his last. I think that's when he decided to hang it up or maybe okay. just go a little less. But he had been out of the ring for almost a year before that, too, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. He was just so inconsistent about what he wanted to do with wrestling. And he was a decent wrestler. But it didn't ever seem – it seemed like – he thought that's where his heart was supposed to be instead of his heart actually being there. Okay. That's how it seemed to me as an outsider. No DQ match. Abyss with Father James Mitchell defeated Sabu. Father James Mitchell was a great promo, but I think he is too much of a Sullivan throwback for that era. Well, but then again, you know, the ECW crowd, you know, he was Sinister Minister, right? In ECW. Yes. So, you know, he's he has... He has the the ECW Glory Days vibe back then still. True. He's a great promo. He's an absolute great promo. And what uh, I don't think you could have found a more perfect pairing for Abyss. He fit. This match was outstanding. (laughs) This was as good of a hardcore match. I mean, there there are times when Sabu would show up, show up messed up to shows, and botch moves even when he wasn't messed up, and all this stuff. I don't know that I've ever seen Sabu as on, and I mean just light switch on hits everything great as this match. I gave this match, which had, I gave it a 7.25, which is an outstanding rating for something like this. Meltzer gave it two and three quarter stars. It went 11 and a half minutes. It was no DQ. I love this. I was just waiting for Sabu to mess something up. It didn't happen. And that's like, I noted the same thing. I put it in my notes. Sa- Sabu was tight. He yeah. was just, he was there. He was invested because I've seen the ECW matches. You can uh, go watch them uh, on the network if you want. The matches where Sabu is uh, in, uh, well, how, what's the expression? In no condition to wrestle, yet does it anyway. The, the botches you would always Sabu. see. He it, it wanted it was- to be. It was almost a regular thing where you'd see Sabu do something crazy, mess it up, and then you would see somebody check him, check on him on the floor, and you would hear him, you'd just see him talk to somebody. Yeah. I just remember that all the time from Sabu matches. Not tonight. He does this chair-assisted clothesline on that abyss over the top rope and does this amazing triple-jump tornado DDT. 
from the to the chair, from the chair to the ropes, from the ropes to abyss. Amazing. That was really good. Then that abyss. Was really good. Abyss on the apron, belly to belly suplexes, taboo sabu over the top rope through the tables. Incredible spot. And he abyss did this smooth thing where he just slid that chair that was right in front of him, just kicked it right out of the way. I was like, man, Abyss doesn't get the credit he deserves for some of this high-level hardcore wrestling. I did cringe at the heaving chair shots to the head. Yeah. But there was an Atomic Arabian face buster through the table. The Atomic Arabian face buster is where he would take a chair, put it underneath his leg or his ass, and leg drop somebody. And let's point this out. He actually hit it because – it happened more often than not than oh, the chair would just slip off or whatever, or, he, or he'd botch it. This, as much as it's his signature thing, he wouldn't. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply mess it up more often than not he did fold himself up pretty badly yeah. here though because <laughs> like his back pretty much goes through the tables and he's folded up but this is such a cool spot mitchell distracts sabu and shock treatment hits which uh is abyss's torture rack backbreaker thumbtacks are laid out but sabu cracks abyss again with a chair sabu goes for another triple jump moonsault but Abyss catches him with a black hole slam into thumbtacks for the win. What a finish. That, it, I'm, it, that did not feel good. Black hole slam onto the tacks. That couldn't have felt nice. Oh, when I interview Abyss, I am for sure getting him for making a finisher and talking about his black hole slam, how he adopted it. Because, I mean, it was it's very similar to Boss Man Slam, but it's way better than Boss Man Slam. Oh, yeah. The way that Abyss does it. Nobody has done it better than Abyss either. I like, you know, the, uh, you could tell also, and, you know, it, it's also prevalent in the Raven match a little later on, you know, how they, you know, TNA is sort of waffling between, uh, waffling between uh, trying to get the ECW crowd who is a little homeless right now, you know, the real yes. ECW crowd. Uh, and, and it's little things like when Sabu at early on in the match, when he's outside the ring, he asks an audience member, audience member for a chair, something that would happen constantly in, at the ECW arena. Hell, people would already have objects at the ready for, yeah. for the wrestlers. So for Sabu to just walk by and you can see him's like, got a chair, got a chair. And someone just hands him a chair and you're like, okay, well, I thought it was a nice touch because that's the kind of stuff that ecw fans were looking for back then yes it was this is one of the best executed hardcore matches that i have ever seen it was just it was beautiful it It was was so much fun Mm -hmm. bobby Roode defeated jeff hardy i gave it a 4.75 out of 10 because the interference really put a damper on it for me throughout this it was just too much uh, Meltzer would give it two stars. It went about nine minutes. Bobby Roode's never been my jam in a singles aspect, though. Ro- Jeff Hardy is very, very over, and it's very nice to look back and see him moving well and not in pain every te- step that he takes. Roode works over the back of Hardy. We get a whisper in the wind, and then a flatliner from Roode, or fl- a flatliner that Roode takes like a psychopath yeah. on his face. Mm-hmm. Petey Williams knocks Hardy off the top rope. Then there are more distractions. Hardy gets a twist of fate. Rude jumps uh, or gets a twist of fate on Rude, then jumps off the top rope onto both members of Team Canada outside. Petey goes for a destroyer, but gets back body dropped on the floor, which allows Jarrett to run in, Jeff Jarrett, and hit a hockey stick over Jeff, Hard- or Jeff Hardy's back so Rude can win. Just too much interference for me. Too sloppy. It wasn't my thing. Very overbooked. Uh, and you, and this is where you start feeling like Jeff Jarrett wants to stick his nose in, in everything, right? Um, I found... Everything. See, I, everything. I found that um, 
I thought that this was this match didn't do anything for me. I felt it didn't click. Felt like Rude and Jeff were wrestling two different matches, and it became especially apparent at some point. I found where um, Bobby Rude he, he whips Hardy into the ropes, and Jeff comes off really slow and connects. I, I I I think he just flipped around to get him into a like a slam or something, but he connects really really slowly and sloppily, and I'm sort of wondering, well, is this uh, maybe is this due to Jeff, all you know, and his substances perhaps yeah. impairing a little bit, or is it the fact that they're just completely off the mark with each other? So you mentioned Jeff Jarrett poking his nose and everything. I've said this many times. I think I've said it to Jeff himself. When Jeff isn't booking Jeff, I think that Jeff is an awesome booker. I really do. He's a great mind. He's somebody who has seen it all. There's nothing that he hasn't had his hand in. But on this show, we've seen him involved in the uh, Kip James, Monty Brown argument via video package. He was involved in this, which involved all of Team Canada, essentially. Well, two members of Team Canada. And Jeff Hardy. And later he is involved in Raven versus Rhino. So even though he wasn't booked on this show, he's involved in everything, like you mentioned. Uh, Sean Waltman was not involved in the TNA Tag Team Championship match. Oh boy! Did commentary take the time to bury him a proper? Oh yeah. Now I wanted to reach out to Sean about this, but I was like, you know what? Probably not a great time in his life. Rumor has it he was in Orlando and dressed to compete. And just wasn't there. There are a lot of speculation on what actually happened. But he had won the Candido Cup along with Alex Shelley, who was another gem of TNA wrestling of this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides his Prince Iakea gear that he was wearing uh, on this night. That was so weird. Chris Candido had died while under TNA employ. And the Naturals were his team that he managed at the time. And they showed Johnny Candido, his brother, ringside. I only remember this match because of Johnny Candido's tidy whities embarrassingly being exposed as he got pinned. He actually had a few matches before this, including a WWE Dark match where he teamed with Deanna Perrazzo's trainer, Damian Adams, against e- or Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney. I'm sure that was a pleasant experience. Oh, my God. Yeah. The story is Sean Waltman no-showed and that Alex Shelley is left shorthanded. However, I would argue that given the dynamic of this match, until the very end, he might not be that shorthanded. Because he can tag out to anybody. Right. It's and, just, But the psychology is still interesting because yeah. no one wants to tag him. No one wants to tag in. Yes. No one the, wants to tag in. So if I were Shelley, I'm just biding my time, letting everybody beat each other up pin each other, get them out of there because I don't have a partner. But Johnny Candido jumps in and he's not very good and gets pinned very quickly with a small package. The commentary (laughs) really did take the time to not only bury Sean Waltman, but to also make a point that... The titles had been won during the Candido Cup. Sean Waltman is such a terrible human being for not showing up tonight because the Candido family is here. Poor Alex Shelley's going to have to go at this alone. Man, if that's not your built-in story for this storyless match, I don't know what it is then. Have Alex Shelley take the beating of a lifetime have the other teams be eliminated throughout. And then at the very end, when things look their bleakest, then have Johnny Candido run run in, hit the tag, lay his lariats in, and then then take the tidy whitey pin. It would have been much more dramatic than just him running in at the start and then taking the pin and then poor Alex Shelley. Yeah, poor Alex Shelley really got boned, completely boned on that one. They had a beautiful story that they could have told right there. Elevate the Candido Cup thing, the the, the fact that this was in uh, Chris's memory. Now it was just like, okay, well, we got to get Alex out as quickly as possible because he doesn't have a partner. Uh, We didn't know how to book this. Yeah, it's really weird. 
You could have made a real baby face there. Hell yeah. Are you kidding me? 18 minutes. I gave it five out of 10. Meltzer gave it three stars, but I thought it was too much of a cluster, man. It was, and considering the workers involved, aside from A1 and Johnny Candido, at the time you had some solid guys. You had Alex Shelley, who wasn't at his peak yet. You had Douglas and Stevens, who were, they were pretty, they were a good tag team. You had AMW, who were the tag team of that era. And you had Eric Young in there, who was one of the most versatile performers I've ever seen in wrestling, as far as the different things he can do. It the, just the match, did, yeah, I, I agree. And the, the match actually picked up when it was just the Naturals and Team Canada that were left. That's really, yeah. I found, when the match picked up. And I thought Eric Young was a brilliant. I got to say... <laughs> Back then, in 2005, I was very much a user of like aggregator sites and sites that would have nothing else, like Lords of Pain and <laughs> stuff like that. That's, oh, how, that's where I got my news back then. I didn't know any better. <laughs> I just didn't know any better as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. And I was a part of those communities, and I'll never forget the way that somebody described AMW that never left me. He called them... Fat HBK and Redneck Edge. Now, I just want to say, if I had the skill set when I wrestled for anybody to call me Fat Neck or or Fat HBK or Redneck Edge, I would say, thank you. (laughs) That is an honor. That is sort of a compliment. Sort of. But yeah, uh, and the I- irony is, is that Redneck Edge would go on to be a way fatter HBK than Fat HBK. <laughs> storm kills Young with a spinning reverse DDT out of the corner and an eye of the storm. There's a lot of ring barricade spots, and that barricade looked nasty. Uh, Eric Young gets cracked by a super kick after a go behind. For some reason. Harris hangs EY up in this vertical suplex forever in this match where five other people are around. Well, appropriately, he gets eliminated by a hockey stick to the back. Okay. Eric Young then shoves Jimmy Hart to the floor. He was 62 at this point, and I did feel bad for him. I felt bad for Jimmy. I was like, damn, was that planned? Because he was like brushing himself off. He's like, I'm an old man. God damn. I made it sound like Jeff Jer- or Je- Jimmy Cornette, but. Instead of Jim Hart. Man, I messed up their first names. No, that's fine. Jim Cornette and Jimmy Hart. I mean, it's the same, but whatever. Yeah, they they, they both have the same pitch, so it's easy to... So Hart knocks Young off the ropes, and the Naturals win with a natural disaster. This was a mess, man. They show people holding up A1 bottles for A1, the guy who was in the match, but he just lost. Who brought that? Like, who? Like, literally... Oh, let's bring some let's bring some A1 hot sauce for the A1 guy. It's weird, man. It's so weird. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. This match didn't connect with me. No, me neither. Raven's rules match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Raven successfully defended his title against Rhino. I gave it 5.75. Meltzer did not rate it. It went 14 and a half minutes. It was a good back and forth hardcore match, but it was missing something. Yeah, it was just missing a bit of a spark. Otherwise, you know, all the toys were there. Yeah. They were used well. There was nothing offensive. You know, it was just everything was used well and creatively and things that were supposed to, you know, the kendo sticks were used like kendo sticks. Everything, everything was there. Yeah. Was just a little spark missing. Rhino gets busted wide open early. Rhino showed up to TNA in the best shape I have ever seen him in. They showed the video. I'll never forget the video. Because, I mean, you look at him today, 2018, as we're filming this. He ain't in great shape. And there were times in ECW and WWF he wasn't in great shape. He showed up in TNA after those few months off. And, like, his singlet didn't fit him the right way anymore. Like, you could tell it was way smaller on him than – or he was way smaller in it and he looked awesome. Yep. A stapler to the head of Rhino, then a running knee and a bulldog from Raven for the time this match fit. But after watching Slammiversary and I hate to date this too, I watched Slammiversary and it's one of the greatest TNA or impact pay-per-views of all time that had some 
real hardcore elements to it too. This one fell flat a little bit. You had Cassidy Riley, who was a disciple of Ravens, because you know, he's always got his disciples. Always got to have his disciples. But it backfires. Uh, the interference says Raven then power bombs Rhino through a ladder, and for some reason the ref counted a, a near fall here. Mm-hmm. Rhino's shoulders weren't on the mat. They weren't no. even pinned. They were hanging off of a ladder. What's up there? I don't. I don't understand. I noticed the same thing as well. Maybe, maybe the ladder. Maybe if your shoulders are on the ladder, it counts. I don't know. Ravens rules. That's. It's just so weird. That's just. Mm. Ravens rules are that you can get pinned without being pinned. <laughs> hmm. We get a seesaw spot that gets Rhino back in the game. That was a nice little spot. That was really nice. My favorite was the drop toe hold into a shopping cart. That was that was good as well. That I, th- I know I know you enjoy. I know. Sorry, I know you enjoy a good drop toe hold, and I think I uh, as I keep talking with you and having conversations with you, Sean, I I'm becoming a drop toe hold mark as well. I got to learn the drop toe hold from Billy Robinson. So, oh, you know, I'm a little bit. Mm. Billy Robinson worked with me on a drop toe hold pretty consistently. Complimented my drop toe hold at that. My natural ability to drop toe hold. Mm -hmm. I'll take it. Jeff Jarrett tries to interfere, but he gets DDT'd after Jeff Hardy stops him. Rhino gets DDT'd too. Raven retains. Mere days after this, though. Jeff Jarrett would defeat Raven for the TNA or NWA World Heavyweight Championship at a Border City Wrestling event. So the title change did happen soon after. Uh, Your thoughts on this match? Uh, Overbooked at the end. Completely, completely overbooked. Took uh, took the gas out of everything that they were doing, I found. Not – and and I'll agree with you. It was like a a bit like I said at first – it's everything was there. The tools were there. The the toys were there. They used them. It just there was a little spark that was missing. And and um, Cassidy Riley, the the run in was completely unnecessary. I don't yeah. know what that brought, what that added. It's like, oh, okay, what's going to happen? Oh, nothing. Okay, a perfectly serviceable hardcore match, but this main event. This was the reason I wanted to review this. This was the first pay-per-view I paid money for, my own money for. There were other pay-per-views I had watched live before, but I paid my money for this. And 30, 40 bucks, I think it was 30 bucks at the time for a broke 20-year-old. That was a lot to ask. This match and Raven Rhino were the two reasons why I ordered it. Because I liked AJ Styles, I liked Samoa Joe, I liked Christopher Daniels, but I knew this match was going to be special. And as the night went on, I'm like, where's the X Division match? Where's the X Division match? And I realized, oh, that's going on last. That was real special to me. These were three guys I saw as the people who should have been in the world title picture. Yeah, that, that was pretty been. much that was pretty much the 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 scuttlebutt everywhere on the internet. You know, not unlike certain discussions that we have today regarding WWE. These were the guys that indeed deserve to be in the main event, regardless, in the world title picture. Don't keep them in a division uh, to the side. These are your legit stars. What it, I, I, and I was curious watching, watching this, and it brought back a flood of memories. Sean, Christopher Daniels, greatest to never have a proper WWE run? Yeah, and the thing is, he was pitched as the higher power. Yeah. Yeah, he was I pitched as that. the higher power, and Vince McMahon saw how small he was and didn't want it. That's wild. That's wild. And he became Ring of Honor World Champion, which is really cool. But he's so he's still so good. He's 46, 47. He's still so good. I gave this match at the time when I watched this, I said, this is the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen. I don't know if it is still now, but I still gave it a 10 out of 10. Dave Meltzer gave it a five star rating. This one went about 22 minutes. It was just perfect to me. Styles and Joe get a great reaction after having a kick contest on Daniels. (laughs) And then Styles feeds Daniels to Joe for a big Uranagi. 
Then Styles gets caught and belly to belly suplex into the corner. Not a spot you saw a lot of back then. I, I really like the, the 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 kick spot. Sorry to interrupt. I really liked it because it came across as a pissing contest. Yes. Between Joe and AJ. And poor Chris Daniels was just on the ground and he stands up and he says, Stop kicking me. <laughs> you know, he just literally jumps up and says, That's it. Stop. As we see this. Yeah. Again, I hate to date ourselves, but it's July, and the, the main event for SummerSlam is Joe versus AJ. This match is why I really want Almas inserted in <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Because he would he would fit the work quality of Daniels, but the character is up a notch. Right. Daniels knocks Joe's out Joe out of the ring and follows with a suicide drop kick and this beautiful split-legged moonsault to the outside. Styles trails them outside with an equally amazing springboard shooting star press, Warren. This was awesome. And it was at this point, and I, I, I knew about the, the hype. Like, I knew what I was getting into, but it was at this point where I knew, like, okay, this, this is special at yeah. this point right there. This was just so cool. Then, back in the ring, Daniels does a monkey flip to Styles who, while he's upside down, Hurricane Ron is Joe. Joe locks in the Kukina clutch on Daniels, but then Styles comes off the top rope with a spiral tap onto Joe and Daniels. Then when Daniels gets back up, he hits a Death Valley driver on Joe. Mm-hmm. 280 at that point, probably. Mm-hmm. Styles and Daniels battle outside, and then Joe flies over the top rope with a corkscrew tope. <laughs> what? I wrote, I actually wrote here. Joe does a motherfucking corkscrew plancha <laughs> onto both men. It, wow, I, that's insane! Physically impossible. What am I watching? All three of these guys end up on the top rope, and Joe does a high crotch suplex overhead to both of them. And then when and then does a muscle buster on Styles. Uh, Daniels grabs the title but gets power slammed. Joe has the title, and this was the only qualm of the match. He toys with it a little bit too long before he gets kicked in his face. But mm-hmm. this this eliminates him for a little while. And then Daniels follows up with one of the best blue thunder bombs you will ever see. That was ridiculous. Then you see, that's why. And you're looking at it, and it's like, look, a blue thunder bomb is a legit finisher. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not a transition move. It's a legit finisher. The BME, the best moonsault ever, was his finish, and it got broken up by Joe. Then Daniels hits Joe with a roll of the dice. Styles goes for his signature reverse DDT that where he moonsaults off. and uh, A Cabrata, fall- right? Cabrata DDT, I think. There you go. And uh, Daniels comes right back with a superplex. Samoa Joe power bombs Daniels and then turns it into an STF, and you can kind of hear them talking to each other and see them talking to each other. I, I made a note of that. I was like, guys, turn off the mics. Which is, if they're calling this on the fly, it's even wild. <laughs> That's nuts. That's nuts. Big Pele hit, kick hits on Daniels, then Styles goes nuts with a torture rack power bomb on Joe where he does a human torture act, then slings him around into a powerbomb. Underrated is the strength of AJ Styles. Yep. Just amazing. Then a smooth Styles clash on Daniels. Got him upside down, hits it. Joe breaks it up. Joe is sent outside, leaving Daniels and Styles to slug it out. Then Styles counters an Angel's Wing for the win. The Angel's Wing is the double underhook uh, sit-out face buster. And the thing is, Daniels, held on to this. It was Daniel's fault. And the thing that I like is that doesn't make sense, but Daniel's reaction was, I just fucked myself over. Yeah. I love that. They knew in their head that people would go, well, why didn't Daniel just let go? And Daniel's reaction was, why didn't I let go? Shit. I loved that. He causes himself to get pinned and he is livid about it. He is up immediately and he's like, no, I just did this. I, I am Bill Buckner. I just let the ball roll through my legs. <laughs> it, it's hard to not have fully – you cannot not fully appreciate the psychology that happened in this match the entire way through. Everything made sense from A to Z. And my final note here, 
after you, you know, pinning and this was actually AJ's fifth uh, exhibition title. My final note, my final bullet point. God damn. It was incredible. I love the match. Incredible match. One of the best wrestling matches I have ever seen and ever will see. Here's what others thought of it. Canadian online explorer writer Corey David LaCroix rated the entire event an 8 out of 10. TNA's previous event, Sacrifice, did not receive a rating. However, No Surrender was given an 8 out of 10 by Jason Clevett. Unbreakable was ranked lower than TNA's next event, Bound for Glory, which received a 9 out of 10. And I do think that TNA was on a great streak of pay-per-views here. They had some great ones. Way down the line, we will do Bound for Glory because I don't want to do another TNA event that was that close in proximity this soon into a review. I know we do have one night stand coming up soon. I think I can't remember if it's 05 or 06, but it's a sponsor level tier request. If you want to make a request for a retro review or you want me to do an alternate commentary on a show, subscribe to that sponsor tier. You get your choice of me calling a match on alternate commentary, your subject for a retro review, appearing on a podcast, or we write an article of your choosing, a column of your choosing. James Caldwell, the Pro Wrestling Torch, published a review of the show where he said the main event was an amazing special match, which he felt was pro wrestling at its finest in 2005. I can't disagree with him. That's nope. That's the perfect assessment. This is what made me. If you look back at those DVDs back there, I have several TNA pay per views. This wasn't one of them for some reason. I subscribed. I had to get a, a company subscription to Global Wrestling Network, which I just want to say is a giant pain in the ass to navigate. Crazy. People complain about that. People complain about the network, about WWE networks. UI. <laughs> He's got nothing Ooh. on uh, Global Wrestling. It was miserable to navigate to this. They can do so much better. Mm. So much better. It was terrible. Fightful Select is easier to navigate than that. That shouldn't (laughs) be the case. We don't have an entire team behind that. What were your impressions of this? Uh, From what I understand, you didn't watch a lot of TNA back then? No, no. So this was was actually my first contact with Unbreakable. I, I was familiar with the... With the talent and what the uh, with most of the talent anyway, a lot of the big names from the past, those that were up and coming in the X division, because I was very involved, you know, on message boards and reading all sorts of sheets, so I knew who was who. Um, listen, this is something. This is you can only hope that this is that what's happening in impact right now is history repeating itself but for the good reasons because you look at this and you sort of wonder why the hell did they feel the need later on to start bringing in all the old WWF guys all the old WCW guys when they had the, when they had WWF's headliners right now in yes. their midst and in their prime holy shit so i'm kind of hoping that we can that at some point down the line we'll be able to draw parallels between what's happening in impact right now and what was happening in impact back then and cross our fingers that impact now will not make the same mistakes as they did back then such as book one guy in every major storyline and that was one thing that's that was good about the x division is that you were always sure that jeff jarrett would be out of it yeah this was a fun show to watch, that main event. Special. Very special. Very, very special. And it, it stayed with me to this day. I mean, I look at those guys and where they are in their careers. And Daniels is, gosh, I think he, he's 47, and he's still getting it done in Ring of Honor. Samoa Joe is 39. He's main eventing with 40-year-old, 41-year-old AJ Styles at SummerSlam. Amazing. And it's not a surprise that those three are still doing it at a high level other than I wonder how they feel physically. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, guys. If anything, watch the main event because uh, while you might need a Global Wrestling Network subscription to watch the whole show, that main event is on Impact Wrestling's YouTube. I think two different versions of it were uploaded, actually, because they know how integral that is. Uh, Warren. Thank you so much for joining me on this post show. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Retro, 13 years too late post show. Guys, <laughs> if you enjoyed this, 
Subscribe to FightfulSelect.com. We have tons of them. We're uploading more every month. We have If It Were a Work, If It Were a Shoot podcast. That's a lot of fun. The Weekender, every week I review BTE, Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, Impact, give you all exclusives, an injury report. Uh, Warren does the 205 Live NXT review. While the G1 goes on, he does G1 wrap-up podcasts. I do Q&A podcasts every couple of weeks. Dark match commentary every couple of weeks. We have uh, access to merchandise, bumper stickers, shirts. We have early access to articles and features, interviews, segments. It is a good time. It is a great way to spend 5 or $10. If you want a sponsor-level tier membership, you get what I mentioned earlier, your ability to pick a subject, appear on a show, and uh, you also get a sponsor slot on one of our podcasts. If you have a business to promote, you, have, you want to promote your Twitter handle, you can have it that too. We have tiers all the way up to the top to where you can get flown to Toronto for the love of God. Guys, thank you all so much. Like, subscribe, share, but most importantly, visit FightfulWrestling.com for all your free wrestling news and FightfulSelect.com for your extra goodies. We're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.